This is Pastor Clint Ribble, and you're listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. For more information, please visit gracepoint.net. Courage is the virtue of the day. Courage, C.S. Lewis said, now think about this, it's really good. Lewis said, courage is not simply one of the virtues. Courage actually is the form or the manifestation of every virtue at the testing point. Now think about that. Courage is actually the form of every virtue at the moment of test, in the hour of trial. Courage is virtue proven under duress. In other words, courage is kindness when it would be far easier to be unkind. Courage is patience when impatience would cost you nothing. Courage is all of the virtues, Lewis said at the testing point. Courage is honesty when clinging to the truth proves difficult, even dangerous. That's courage. Courage is generosity. Generosity in the face of your own scary needs. One of my favorite texts in the New Testament, especially concerning this issue of generosity, is 2 Corinthians 8. Our Wednesday night walk through the Bible, we just covered this a few weeks ago, but 2 Corinthians 8, Paul was encouraging the churches in southern Greece churches like Corinth, to give to the brothers and sisters who were marginalized and hurting deeply back in Judea, the mother church. In encouraging the churches of southern Greece, Achaia, churches like Corinth, he appealed to churches, rather the example of churches up in northern Greece, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. And speaking of those churches in Macedonia, he gave this equation, and I love this equation. He said they were in a great moment of difficulty, adversity, tribulation, trial. And under the duress of persecution, he said mixed with their abundant joy. So just look at it like a formula. Severe trial, abundant joy, and then he said mixed also with their extreme financial poverty. They overflowed. That little rubric, severe trial, abundant spiritual joy, extreme financial poverty, and he said that admixture overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. He said so much was the wealth of their generosity, they were wealthy, not financially, but they were wealthy generously, and I'll tell you, in the long run, looking back, you would be far better served to be wealthy in generosity and poor financially than to be wealthy financially and end up at the end of your life poor in generosity. He said they were so wealthy in their generosity that they begged me for the pleasure, the luxury, the gift of giving. And he said I literally had to quell their giving at one point and tell them I'm not wanting you to make them rich and you become more poor. I just want there to be an equality, he said. That's Paul's words. It's not socialism. That's forced giving, 
This is the giving that Paul described in the next chapter when he said, so let everyone give as they purpose in their heart, not begrudgingly, not out of necessity, religious compulsion or other necessities, for God loves a cheerful giver. Courage is the Macedonians being generous in the face of their own extreme poverty. Courage is forgiveness and mercy when vulnerably opening your heart again, might I say your wounded heart again, terrifies you. That's courage. Courage is perseverance, endurance, determination, whatever synonym you pick for that stick to Courage is determination born out of your faith and your integrity. Not just your faith, what you believe, but your integrity, your commitment to your belief. Perseverance born of integrity, an integrity that provides you buoyancy, literally, buoyancy, because there are a lot of riptides of external pressure in life, and some of the worst currents are those undertoes of your own doubts and insecurities. Courage is determination born of integrity. Aristotle said it this way, uh, courage, Aristotle said, is the is the first of human qualities because it is the one quality that guarantees the success of all the others. Courage is the thing, J.M. Barry said, courage is the thing. All goes if courage goes. Claire Booth Luce, a great writer, you should read, Claire Booth Luce, she said courage is the ladder on which all the other virtues mount. I love that. There's a phrase that's not infrequently seen in Scripture, and most of the time uh, the translators put it in the mouth of Paul. It's a phrase used in Scripture, specifically Pauline Scripture, a lot, and a lot of people commonly use this little apt description of courage today, and the phrase is to lose heart. To lose heart is the opposite of courage. Look at 2 Corinthians 4 with me. We'll look at one text today, but uh, we've also just gone through this on Wednesday night. We've been moving through 2 Corinthians, so it's memorable for some of you. Therefore, since it is by God's mercy that we're engaged in this ministry, look at that phrase, we don't lose heart. Skip down to verse 7. We'll read a few verses there. But we have this treasure in clay jars, Paul said, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We're afflicted. Notice the poetry of this. We're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always, Paul said, carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus. This is Paul's description of the persecution he faced. This is Paul's capacity to be courageous, to live with integrity, to live out his faith. And all of the costs that ensued because of that, Paul called that carrying in his body the dying of Jesus. That's a powerful connection. So that the life of Jesus 
may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we're always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us. There's severe cost, but life is in you. That's the result. Look at verse 16, three verses, finally, 16, 17, and 18. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. We don't lose heart. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. We don't, Paul said, in the middle of all of this stuff, we don't lose heart. And that truly is an apt description of courage, seeing that the word courage comes from a Latin. Our English word courage comes from the Latin root cor, C-O-R, which in Latin means heart. As we developed this word for courage, we understood classically that courage really is a matter of the heart. The essence of courage is about living out of your heart, assuming as our forebears did that the heart is more than a cardiac unit, more than a blood pumping unit, but metaphorically, we understand when we say our heart, we're talking about the center of our being. Classically, there was this sense that to be courageous is to live out of the center of your being. That which most constitutes you is your heart. Courage, then, is to live wholeheartedly, to live out of that most sacred space inside of me who is me. It was Shakespeare who coined the phrase 500 years ago, take heart. The issue of courage was about taking your heart by the nap of the neck. Setting your affections, Paul said, instead of being set by your affections. To take heart admits that the center of my life, there is a life waiting to be taken. Listen to that. Courage is that recognition that somewhere down inside of me, beneath the fears, the doubts, the insecurities, the present dangers and difficulties, there is a life in this moment waiting to be seized. There is a life waiting to be chosen. There's a life waiting to be lived. There's also a life, to use Paul's language, waiting to be lost. We don't lose heart. Oh, but you can. All of us know what it is to lose pieces of our heart along the way. Life is not only waiting to be seized. It's waiting to be misplaced. It's not only waiting to be tended to. It's waiting to be ignored. This is the story of the cowardly lion and the Wizard of Oz taking a long journey, looking outside of himself always for this mystical thing called a heart, only to find in the end it was always inside of him. That's what they understood. This is what we call the image of God. This is why this series is called Original Virtue. These things are inside of you. They are embedded in the fabric of your DNA. You were created in the very image and essence of God. And the journey, sweet lion, is not a journey external, it's a journey inward. To lose heart, back to that phrase that Paul used, to lose heart is to lose your true life. 
to lose heart along the way. And we could pause and have just a therapeutic moment here as all of us reflect on those things that have threatened to take our heart from us. There are some of you that even today would say that you are here and your heart is somewhere in another's hand. Somewhere it's been ripped out of your chest and it goes a-walking somewhere in this world outside of you. To lose heart is to lose your true life. To lose heart is to let go of courage, to forfeit in the face of immediate danger that which ultimately is your most precious gift, and that's your own heart. I was over in Sapphire Valley, North Carolina last night for a wedding. Anybody ever been to Sapphire Valley, Cashers, that area? Anybody? Ooh, that's where the other side lives, I'll just tell you. It's a beautiful, nice place, and I was there in that valley, and we were at a big wedding reception. Some of our folks here in the church were getting married, and at the end of the wedding reception, or as the wedding reception, the meal was over, the music began to play, and it was, it was a great 70s cover band. And Ambrosia and Bread and Player and Boston and America and the real music began to play, John. <laughs> Woo! When they hit Baby Come Back, I said, I'm not going to church in the morning. I'm staying here. <laughs> and I was standing, and they were boogieing down. It was the, the Bishop family. Y'all know good folk in our church, Nick and Don Bishop, that owned Bishop's Meeting Three and Hattie B's. Good folk. And their daughter, Brittany, was getting married. Well, her grandmothers were there. One of her grandmothers in her mid-80s was standing there beside me, and everybody had hit the dance floor, and they were, Richard, they were boogieing down. You would have liked it. You would have pulled your R2-D2 tank right out there in the middle of them, <laughs> done the silver slide. But I was standing beside one of Brittany's grandmothers, and it hit her, same thing that was hitting me, and she slid out onto that dance floor, and she began to uh, do a, a, a mock John Travolta. She was up and she was down. And in the process, she lost her equilibrium. And all 85 years of her went down. They gathered her up, and I was amazed at how little she blushed. You, one of the litmus tests of enlightenment is how little you blush in moments like that. The increasing loss of acute, painful self-awareness. I helped gather up. We sat down. She leaned her head back as I got her seated, and she laughed, and she looked at me, and she said, nothing ventured, nothing gained. <laughs> She patted me on the face and she said, you need to wear a clerical collar. <laughs> I said, oh, I do. She said, yes. She said, then I wouldn't stare at you so much. Courage, nothing ventured, nothing 
gained. To lose heart is to forfeit in the face of immediate danger. Oh, I'm still self-aware enough in the wrong sense that I'm not as quick to that dance floor. The retirement home can be a explicitly maturing back to the kindergarten class. Becoming again, Jesus said, as a little child, that one inside of you. In the face of immediate danger, what people would think, what might happen, you end up ultimately forfeiting the most precious gift you have, and that's your own heart. I tell the story often, but I, I can't pass this moment without using that phrase that has become a linchpin of my own psychological health, a phrase that I heard from Rosa Parks. A young girl raised in the Jim Crow South, taught by her parents, respectable, hardworking people, mother a teacher. As an African-American in the Jim Crow South, she said we were that family that made a decision to keep our heads down, to not press the issue, but to accept what was given and be grateful. She said, for me, it always seemed like something less than gratitude, that decision. To not look the wrong people in the eye, to be sheepish. She said, my parents come from a world of abuse and pain. This was a good compromise for them. It was a safe compromise. It was a respite. Sometimes pains are so severe that it takes entire generations to serve as a phase in the process. She said, my parents convinced me as a young girl that the worst thing that could ever happen to me would be to do something wrong and end up in that county jail. And so I kept my head down. At appropriate times, I would step up the stairs of the bus, put my money where it belonged, go back down the stairs of the bus, retreat to the back of the bus, and come in through the back, even when it was raining. But on this particular day, she said, I was tired. And it was a weariness not born of a seamstress's hips, wrists, elbows, shoulders, and hands, but it was a weariness of soul. And she said, on that particular day, I'm quoting Parks now, she said, on that particular day, I realized that I could no longer be a co-conspirator in my own diminishment. Oh my, what a phrase. A co-conspirator in my own diminishment. And as I was asked to move, it was not with stubbornness of heart, but I would say it was with courage, she said, but it was simply with weariness of soul that I said no. And she said, when that young sheriff's deputy looked at me and said, ma'am, I'm going to have to put you in jail. She said, a dam broke inside of me. As Beekner said, the great wall of China fell and Atlantis rose up out of the sea. That's what happens when you find your heart. She said, I looked at him and said what I thought I could never say. 
She said, I looked at him and said, you may do that. Because on that day, she said, quoting her, I realized that for fear of that damn jail, I had put myself in a prison all my life long. And I gave up a key that I could not control and took a key that I could. This was Luther when he said, here I stand. I could do no other. It wasn't a choice. When you finally get to the end of Oz's journey and you find the heart down inside of you to betray that, to be a co-conspirator with all of the external forces that are always willing to conspire with you. To lose heart in order to save your life, Parks realized, is saving the wrong life. The things we save by yielding to fear aren't worth saving. And the things we lose by not living out of courage are the things that Doug really are the only things worth living for. The fact is, yielding to fear, and we all have it, Yielding to fear, losing heart, compromising your truest self. The fact of the matter is, those things won't kill you. As a matter of fact, losing heart, yielding to fear, compromising your truest self, not only will it not kill you, it may preserve your biological life. But frankly, while the absence of courage won't kill you, it will definitively ensure that you will never live. Not the life that Jesus spoke of when he said, I came that you might have life and that more abundantly. That's why this series is called Original Virtue. The long journey back to that which was embedded inside of us only to find that it is the abundant life that Jesus promised. The true test of courage is often not to die the true test of courage often is to live. That's why a few years ago when a friend of mine called me in this church and said, I just need to know, do you think I will go to hell if I kill myself? And I, I said, well, I have a different take on that. Um, I think hell is a much broader, truer reality than just this thing suspended at the end of life for bad people. Hell is that place of estrangement, felt separation from God. Hell is something that can be chosen in this life and that can persist into the next life. And I told my friend, honestly, I mean, what do you tell a friend? You, you, you want to lie? but I knew the truth would be better there and I told him, well, it appears to me as I've lived with you that you're already there. And, and if you're wondering if you would go to hell after you died, how could you go somewhere where you already live? A grown man wanting to take his life, some of you have been there, you know what I'm talking about. And I said, but if you're asking me, Will you go there? Well, since you're already there, I want you to know this. I don't think this will get you out of it. I think you'll wake up on the other side because this is a soul-making universe and God will say you're not going to get out of it that easy. And you'll have to pick up right there in the hell that you left here 
because this is a Christ-making world we're in. And he will make Christ of us all or destroy us lovingly in the process, Beekner said. Sometime the true test of courage is not to die. Sometime the true test of courage, and my friend a week later took his life. And I am not calling him uncourageous, only those who have borne the severity of that sense. But I can say for myself, at times the true test is not to die, but it's to live. Choosing to live without courage, making a choice, and it really is a choice to lose your heart, continually yielding to the road of least resistance, all the fears, doubts, insecurities that keep you on the perimeter of the dance floor, wondering how you will be perceived, wondering what it would look like if you fell. That world between kindergarten and the rest home when you're vainly trying to find something that's all fool's gold anyway. Yielding to your fears, your doubts, your insecurities, that life will take you so far off of the field where the game of life is actually played, forever resigning you to the sidelines as a spectator, not a player. And like the cowardly lion, you're not absent a heart, you just somehow in the course of life lost it. And hearts are easy to lose. Life can beat them out of you. If we took just a moment here to do a bit of a living autopsy on ourselves, how's your heart? How much of it do you possess? How much of it possesses you? How much of it is actually seen by all of these folk around? And how much of it is hidden? How's your heart? Hearts are easy to lose. True spiritual work is not first a journey outward, but it's a journey inward. True spiritual work is the journey of mining the depths of the image of God inside of me beneath the layers of fallenness and brokenness. Annie Dillard said it's harnessing that sea monster at the surface, bracing yourself to it, and like the old sailor, tying yourself to that whale. knowing that if it takes you down and robs you of breath, it has robbed you of something far greater on the surface in this world of air. It has robbed you of your soul. Dillard said, harnessing yourself, tying yourself to that mast, lassoing that sea monster and riding it down, down, down to the substrate, down to the depths. That's spiritual work. Getting in touch with the sacredness inside of you, finding out that those demons inside of you actually are just little children, bruised and battered, whose hearts were lost. Who in the absence of heart, in the absence of good skill, learn survival mechanisms that grow into addictions and ways of being that turn into sea monsters on the surface, but actually are bruised and battered children beneath. That's all. Spiritual work is the courage to get in touch with the sacredness inside of you, a sacredness that will not be satisfied with anything less than your best, not somebody else's. A sacredness that won't be satisfied with anything short of maturity, with growth, and wholeness. Courage takes a lot of forms in this life. Courage takes a lot of forms, and courage provides us 
or rather life provides us many opportunities to manifest it. Back to Lewis's idea that courage is all of the virtues manifested at the moment of test. There are many opportunities to manifest courage. Robert Pitt went with Nina and I to the wedding. Nina rode over with me to North Carolina to the wedding. She said that she has already learned that you don't go to a wedding as a single woman without an escort, so she chose Robert to go with us. No kidding. Last night they got in the car, 7.43 North Carolina time, or 8.43 North Carolina time, and they were so excited I got them six movies at Redbox, and they got their pillows and blankets all situated, and she said, we're gonna watch movies all the way home. 12 minutes into the trip, she was snoozing, and there was her escort, Robert, all by himself watching movies all the way home as she slept. Earlier in the day, we got to the, we had the day to spend, so we got out to a, a ropes course there in the Smokies, and I asked Robert, I said, you wanna do this? And he said, not really. <laughs> and I said, well, it, it would be a lot of fun. Nina said, I want to, at which point, Robert stuck in that whole masculine, feminine, male, female thing. He looked at her and realized that this was not boding well for him because she wanted to and he didn't. And he said, I'll do it. I signed him up. The instructor looked down at his feet, Pat, and the instructor said, you have to have closed-toed shoes. You can't wear sandals. And he said, well, I'd be glad just to sit over here and let Nina do it. <laughs> I said, I saw your tennis shoes in the car. <laughs> and he said to me, no kidding, he said, is our car here? <laughs> yes, we just got out of it and came in. <laughs> they got through the ropes course and when they got through, I said, how did it go? And Robert said, well, I never looked down, I just looked forward. And I said, well, that, 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 that was smart. And he sat down and he said, I'm really proud of myself. And I, Chris, I said, you know, sometimes moments don't require a lot of words. I said, well, you ought to be. Courage. Life provides seven-year-old little boys lots of opportunities. In every form that courage manifests, in every opportunity that life affords, courage really is just a taking of responsibility. Churchill famously said, greatness is actually simply taking responsibility again and again and again. Courage is taking responsibility not for what I can't control, but for what I can. And in every form, courage is the belief down inside of me that the cost to not act courageously, and all of you that live in the profound world known as the 12-step world, you know this language. Courage is the belief that the cost to not act courageously, though not immediate. The, the cost that I will impose upon myself by not acting courageously, though they are not immediate cost, 
they are far greater than the cost to act. And herein lies the challenge. It's the challenge of courage. As one man put it, he is no fool who forfeits now what he cannot keep that he might gain what he cannot lose. That's courage. Time fails me as I close this to speak to all of the ways that we can be courageous. I listed just a few here. This week, maybe you would jot one or two of them down, at least make a mental note of them so these messages aren't just about you guys being connoisseurs of Christian preaching and waiting for another good sermon next week, but it's about all of us actually taking this bread of life and eating it. That's why we do this. This week, maybe courage would be for you to live honestly with your own life and be true to your own story and bravely make a decision to go inward, getting into it because you finally admit to yourself that you can't get out of it. As Richard Rohr famously says, if you do not transform it, you will transmit it. Maybe this week, courage is taking responsibility to dream bigger, to hit the dance floor of life, to make amends, to forgive, to be yourself, to really be yourself. J.K. Rowling said, it takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to our enemies. It may take even more to stand up to our friends and family. Courage is the ability to disappoint others, especially those you love. Courage to speak up, to take responsibility, to finally act. Courage might be to say no, it might be to say yes, it might be to love unconditionally, it might be to forfeit control, it might be to take control, it might be to lead and it might be to follow. Courage for some of you might be to finally stand up and say something. It might be for others of you to finally sit down and listen. Hawkeye in the series MASH said, I'd feel a whole lot braver if I wasn't so scared. Marv Kipman said, if God wanted us to be brave, why did he give us two legs? Because it isn't courage if you aren't afraid. Courage is doing what you're afraid of. Dorothy Bernard said courage is fear that has said its prayers. Twain said unless a creature be partly coward, it is not a compliment to say them brave. And General Omar Bradley said bravery is the capacity to perform properly even when you're scared half to death, which I have been many times, he said. And finally, Anise Nin said, life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. Listen to it. Life shrinks or expands in direct proportion to one's courage. Courage is facing the risk of losing things you can afford to lose that you might ensure keeping the things you cannot afford to lose. Like the ability to look yourself in the eye and your children in the eye. And finally, from an anonymous Chicago teacher, interesting that this was a school teacher, interesting that they chose to remain anonymous in the offering. 
To laugh is to risk appearing the fool. To weep is to risk appearing sentimental. To reach for another is to risk involvement. To expose your feelings is to risk exposing your true self. To place your ideas, your dreams before a crowd is to risk their loss. To love is to risk not being loved in return. To live is to risk dying. To believe is to risk despair. To try is to risk failure. But risk must be taken because the greatest hazard in life is to risk nothing. The person who risks nothing, does nothing, has nothing, and ends up being nothing. They may indeed avoid suffering and sorrow, but they cannot learn, feel, change, grow, love, or live. Chained by their attitudes, they are slaves. They have forfeited their freedom. Only a person who risks is free. And it was Solzhenitsyn who said, if one is forever cautious, can one truly remain a human being? We got home 30 minutes late last night. You guys, come on. We got home 30 minutes late last night because as Robert and Nina sat eating multiple pieces of cake, I stood on the perimeter of a dance floor. And it wasn't so much that I wanted to dance as much is that I wanted to not mind dancing. Because you see, I grew up in a world where we didn't dance. The joke was we were so legalistic, we preached against fornication because we was afraid it might lead to dancing. <laughs> Think about it. And I never danced. And I always wanted to because I had dancing inside of me. We got home 30 minutes late last night because I stood there for 30 minutes acting like the preacher. And there was plenty of room for people to come up and tell me it was a nice ceremony. But inside there was a five-year-old boy that wanted to get out on the dance floor. I didn't. I missed an opportunity last night. You say, well, you should have. You would have done fine. No, I wouldn't have. It would have been awful. <laughs> It would have been awful, just awful, but I'd have had fun, and I'd have been me. You remember Elaine dancing on Seinfeld? <laughs> I disappointed myself last night. Don't disappoint yourself this week. Take courage. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.